The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Ellis Martin Report. During this broadcast, you will learn of potential investment opportunities involving publicly traded companies. These companies have paid us for exposure on this program. We ask that before you consider any possible investment choice, do your own research. You can begin the research process by visiting our website, ellismartinreport.com. Remember, if you do invest in any publicly traded concern, you do so at your own risk. Here's the host of the Ellis Martin Report, Ellis Martin. All week long on the Ellis Martin Report, you'll hear interviews obtained while I was visiting the Prospectors and Developers Conference of Canada in Toronto. It's the largest event of its kind in the world, where over 20,000 people were in attendance, making it Canada's largest conference. I had a chance to chat with CEOs from sponsor companies old and new. Several of those companies are boasting potential bonanza grades of gold. If you have an appetite for risk and are seeking a possible 2 to 10 time return on your investment, it certainly can happen. Never risk more than you can afford to lose. Contact the companies directly if you wish. Their logos are all on the homepage of our website. Should you wish to contact me about anything we discuss on the program, do so via email. My email address is martinreports at gmail.com. That's martinreports at gmail.com. Let's begin the show. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me for a conversation with Eric Owens and Mary Vorvis. Eric is the president and CEO of Alexandria Minerals Corporation. And Mary is the vice president of corporate development and investor relations for the company. Alexandria Minerals Corporation trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol AZX and in the U.S. as ALXDF. Alexandria is an active, growth-oriented Canadian gold exploration and development company with strategic properties located in the world-class mining district of Val d'Or, Quebec, Red Lake, Ontario, and Snow Lake, Flin Flon, Manitoba. Alexandria's focus is on its flagship property, the large Cadillac Brake property package in Val d'Or, which hosts important near-surface gold resources along the prolific gold-producing Cadillac Brake, all of which have significant growth potential. Today, I'm visiting with Eric and Mary in Toronto, Canada. Eric, welcome to the program. Thank you, Ellis. Welcome to Toronto. We're happy to be here and chatting with you today. And Mary, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for including me. A pleasure to meet you. Now, if you don't mind, give us an overview of Alexandria. Alexandria is a junior gold exploration company with focus in Valdor, Quebec, one of the uh, world's premier gold mining districts, and with a broad distribution of properties in some of Eastern Canada's best well-known mining camps. And if you don't mind, Mary, why don't you give us an overview of the management team? Well, it's all about the people. In any industry that we ever work with, the people are the most important in our management team is a direct example of that tremendous amount of integrity people that really put the money exactly where it needs to be placed and that's in the ground let's talk about your premier property in the Valdor region we have a large 35 kilometer property package in Valdor Quebec right along one of the world's greatest gold mining fault zones and that's the Cadillac break on that property we've discovered two and a half million ounces of gold over a period of eight or so years and we're now ramping up on new activities, including a current 12,000-meter drill program. We're drilling a 12,500-meter drill program right now to build on those resources and anticipate a fair bit of news flow coming out as time goes on this year. Speaking of news flow, let's talk about the news you released on March 2nd. 
So on March 2nd, we announced the most recent drill results on our current campaign. We intersected a number of high-grade gold quartz veins, which are sub-parallel to each other and low-angle flatline uh, stacked veins. So these are good news because we're reinterpreting the geology there, and we love, of course, hitting veins with lots of visible gold in it. How did you discover these properties? I know you're a geologist. That's your passion. But, you know, what was the methodology? We always wanted to occur using the philosophy, if you want to find gold, go where gold has been found. Valdor is a well-known gold mining district. These properties came available to us through mutual acquaintances, and we were able to option these properties off from larger gold companies that were focusing elsewhere. We were able to assemble this property, this large property package in Valdor, all in a couple of principal property deals in 2006. Now, Mary, I know you've got a very strong institutional partner. Let's talk about that. Yes, we have Agnico Eagle, and they've been really great with us. In fact, we discovered an open pit mine that we ended up selling to them in 2014. And at that time, the markets were very, very poor, and we sold it for $5 million. They're putting it into production. That was a 700,000 ounce right at surface, and they continued to support us, which we are really, really thrilled. We have a very good relationship with. How are you capitalized overall? We have about $7 million right now, and we are actually drilling on our property and focus. But we are also having other partners that we've optioned off some of our other properties. And with that, we have an additional $17 million that is being worked as we speak on different properties. Last year, we optioned off three of our properties to some very, very good people. Probe Metals is one of them. And the other one is Prosper Gold. And Aquinto Real is our third one. And these are really great partners to have because they're known entities and they've had previous successes. Together, they're spending about $17 million on the properties, unlocking tremendous amount of shareholder value to our shareholders. Properties we otherwise would either take a great deal of time to go back and to explore, or perhaps not even at all. Let's talk about the share structure of your company and who are some of the major players that are shareholders. We have about 430 million shares outstanding. We have Agnico Eagle. We did a financing with Sprott last year, and they have about 8.5%. Agnico has about 8%. We have Gabelli in the deal. We have Tech. We have I Am Gold. We have Gold 2000. We have U.S. Global. So we have some very, very nice funds. And of course, management has 6%, which is an important piece because obviously that's something that we believe in and we continue to participate in. And then we have a lot of high net worth individuals, which comprise about 30%. Where do you see the company heading over the next 12 to 24 months? Well, Alexandria's ultimate goal, management's ultimate goal here is to discover large multi-million ounce gold deposit. And we're in a part of the world where we have the proper geology to do just that. And there's a number of other mines and deposits of that size in the region. That's the business model of our junior exploration company. And so our goal is to aim for that, to move down that path. This year, we're working on building a new resource update on the Orinata deposit. We anticipate that being done by the end of the year. And that'll be sort of the first step of of what we see future growths in the resources at Orinata. We are trying to build the big gold deposit here in an area where there are a number of big gold deposits. This is underexplored part of that region. And to that end, what we are doing is drilling intensively this year. We're currently drilling a 12,500 meter drill program with two drill rigs focused in one little area on our broad property package. We anticipate completing 41,000 meters of drilling before the next 12 months is up, between now and the time the next PDAC comes around, in that effort to see this deposit grow. 
We have one drill rig specifically looking at high-grade veins at Orinato, from which the recent assays came out up to 25 grams per ton over 1.2 meters. Uh, we've had up to 131 grams per ton over a third of a meter. So we're getting some pretty good grades there. And this is a result of reinterpreting the geology and stepping out. We've identified a zone now that's 700 meters long, 250 meters deep, and it's open in all directions. We have still to test along the strike, across strike, and at depth. So we don't know where this is going to take us yet. We're in early days of this drill program. We also have a second drill rig that's wandering around nearby looking for similar high-grade veins in another part of the area, but close by as well. So we think we have a lot of potential here for new discovery here with the amount of drilling that we have underway right now. The important thing to remember is our absolute maniacal focus on the area that we're gaining the most success, and that's the Orinata Zone 4, with these wonderfully high grades, and this is a large area. As Eric stated, 700 meters has already been extended. The possibility of extending it to 1,200 meters exists because it's all untested, and then of course we're going down to about 250 to 300 meters max, which makes a fabulous open pit opportunity. We believe we have multi-million ounce deposit. This is only a very small portion of our 35 kilometer long piece of property that we have right along the Cadillac break in Valdor. Although we have a broad geographic distribution of properties in some of Canada's greatest mining districts, Flin Flon, Northern Manitoba, Red Lake, Ontario, and Valdor, Quebec, our drilling experience is focused in Valdor. To Mary's earlier point that we have optioned off some of our other properties, we still have the Manitoba properties that we're left to deal with, which have their own resources and a strong geologic potential for growth. We're thinking about other business transactions with regards to those to see the value-added activities develop there. So you have no plan on diffusing your focus at all, or resources for that matter. You're going to allow your partners and future partners to do that. That's correct. We want to maintain our focus in Valdor because that's where elephants are. Well, Eric, Mary, thank you so much for joining us today on the program. Ellis, thank you very much for giving us this opportunity to speak. Thank you, Ellis. A real pleasure. I've been chatting with Eric Owens and Mary Vorvis of Alexandria Minerals Corporation, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol AZX and the U.S. as ALXDF. Listen to the segment again on our website, ellismartreport.com, or download the entire Ellis Martin Report on iTunes and on your TuneIn radio app. High-quality but undervalued mining stocks are finally starting to attract the attention of investors. Get the latest news and resource stock investment opportunities with a subscription to Resource World magazine. Published six times a year, Resource World features in-depth articles on mineral area plays, commodities of interest, and valuable investment insights by highly qualified market analysts, geologists, and mining journalists. Go to resourceworld.com to find out more. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me for a conversation with Ross Orr, the president of Backtech Environmental Corporation, trading on the CSE under the symbol BAC and in the U.S. as BCCEF. Backtech is a pioneering environmental technology company that has developed and commercialized a proprietary technology to remediate highly toxic tailing areas resulting from abandoned mining operations. In addition, the company recently added processing of arsenopyrite ores produced by artisanal miners in South America to its slate of offerings. I recently chatted with Ross at the Prospector and Developers Association of Canada in Toronto. 
PDAC is the largest mining or resource conference of its kind and the biggest conference in Canada. Ross, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Alice. Good to be here. For listeners new to your story and new to the segment, give us an overview of Backtech Environmental, please. Backtech is a technology company or technology provider for the mining industry that about five years ago, we separated the technology into two aspects, one for mining, one for environmental reclamation. I'm running the reclamation side and we're very active in South America, cleaning up mine tailings, as I'll discuss later, treating high arsenic concentrates that are produced by artisanal miners that are causing one heck of a mess in South America. Well, that's always a story around the world is protecting local population from their own population, from those folks that are doing artisanal mining, and you've got a way to do it. You've had this process for quite some time, and you're actually getting to work and doing it again. That's correct. It's a commercial technology, which is important in anything mining related, especially when it comes to financing a project. But I would say, let's go back to what we're doing in Bolivia first, because that's the project that's going to allow us to develop the other projects on a more rapid basis. We have an agreement with the Bolivian government, Comibol specifically, who is the state mining company, to reprocess about a half a million tons of tailings in a place called Telamayu. Half a million tons is not large in the tailings world, but when you average 9 to 10 ounces of silver per ton, because they were mining 300 at the beginning, 1.5% tin, people don't realize tin just hit $20,000 a ton recently, and then copper. Copper runs about 2.24%. So this is what we call a jewelry box. It's a very high-grade project, and realistically, we just finished drilling 60 holes. The results will be coming out over the next couple of months. The next step will be metallurgical test work. And I have to say, this is not a bioleach candidate. This is not going to be where we use our proprietary technology. This is a simple gravity flotation circuit to get cash flow. It's that cash flow that will drive the projects that we're looking at in the Andes related to the artisanal mining. So explain how that cash flow works. How do you get the cash from this project? We'll probably make three different products. One will be a silver concentrate that we'll export. One will be a gravity con for tin, which will be processed internally in the tin smelters in Bolivia. And the third product is a copper cement or a copper sulfate, which apparently is used quite a bit in the fruit industry in in South America. They spray trees with this stuff. So it's a three-pronged approach. I can tell you that we get 100% of the cash flow until we get our capital back. Now, that capital repayment, based on our numbers, is pretty darn quick. It's less than a year. At that time, it goes 55-45 in their favor. Now, people say, well, that's not fair. I'm saying, well, they brought us a railway, they brought us power, brought us a mill, they brought us the asset. We're basically stirring the solution, so to speak. Incidentally, this is one of 26 projects that they offered to us back three, four years ago. We decided to pick the one with the lowest capex and the highest grade, and then Telemayu ticks off both those boxes. Can you speculate as to what that cash flow might be over time? It's a very forward-looking statement, but let's do that. Okay, I would say that after our payout, where our percentage drops to 45%, you're looking at cash flow of about $7 million U.S. a year for five years, potentially. Well, that's very attractive, isn't it? Well, yes. When you're a $0.05 cent stock and your cash flow is going to be about $0.11 cents a share, something has to give. Update us as to what's going on in Ecuador. Ecuador has got a very large problem, as well as Peru, Colombia, with artisanal miners. Literally hundreds of thousands of these people go out daily with their picks and shovels and a little bit of dynamite, and they literally produce a half a ton, a ton, or 
or they do it in cooperatives where there's 500 or 1,000 of these people. And effectively, what they historically do is use mercury to try and extract the gold and silver from the rock. The particular type of rock that we like to process using bioleaching is called arsenopyrite, which is made up of arsenic, gold, iron, and sulfur. It's also what is called refractory, meaning that you need some sort of a liberation technology to crack open that nut to get at the gold. In this case, it's bacteria. So the bacteria go in, break up, they devour the sulfides, and liberate the metals for recovery. We also produce a benign arsenic product. So here's the win-win for us. The Canadian government's been very active in building flotation plants in that area. This is in Ponce Enriquez in, in Ecuador. These flotation plants are meant to stop people from using mercury. So they say to the miners, don't use mercury, bring it to us, we'll crush it, float it, and we'll make a concentrate. And you're going to get paid more money for that gold. Well, as it turns out, that's about a 95% effective solution. The problem is you now have a concentrate that is very high in gold, but but 15% arsenic, which means effectively you created an unsaleable product. Enter bioleaching. So what we're going to do is build a bioleach plant in the neighborhood of these flotation facilities, and they will be our customer. We will buy directly from them, and we'll pay more than what's being paid now by Chinese companies who are buying the product and taking it back to China. And who funds that product? That's interesting. At this stage, we're not even there. I mean, what we're doing now is we're going into the flotation plants. We're getting about 300 kilograms of material, 700 pounds, and we're shipping it to Laurentian University in Canada, in Sudbury, Ontario, where we've got a joint venture with them on bioleaching. So we will do four to six months of test work. Remember, this is 15% arsenic. This is off the scale stuff. But the concentrates run two to four ounces of gold per ton. So you've got very, very large margins here. You can stub your toe along the way is what I'm saying. You may not be as efficient producing gold as you would at, say, a 100-ton-a-day plant, but at a 40-ton-a-day plant, which is what we're going to be building, it's more than enough. It's a very, very effective answer to the problem. And until Bactech came along, there was no answer to the problem, was there? No. I mean, they used to burn arsenic. And if you go to Yellowknife, you'll see the effects of there's 250,000 tons of arsenic trioxide that is causing all sorts of problems for the Canadian government trying to decide what to do with it. I think they're going to freeze it, if you can believe it. But it's a very, very deadly material. But that's post-burning. We're a hydrometallurgical solution, not pyro. So all of our reactors take place in tanks in a liquid form, and therefore there's very, very little gas emissions, and we recycle our water. It's a great technology. So you consider yourself, and I do for that matter, a green sustainable company. Oh, absolutely. I bristle when they call us a mining company, because somebody's already done the mining. It's sitting on surface. And effectively, all we're doing is providing a clean way to finish it off. It's all about sustainability now, right? I just came out of the Bolivian meetings, and it was all about CSR. Let's talk about the share structure of the company. 59 million out. Probably know 70% of the shareholders very well. Large chunks of in certain hands. Liquidity has improved a lot in the last six months because we've actually taken a more aggressive approach telling our story. We had to get all of our ducks lined up before you tell the story. We just finished drilling 60 holes. We're into this thing up to our neck now. And we'll be having results coming out. And I think you're going to see some pretty impressive numbers. We already know that going in. We're just confirming it. And we're also trying to figure out where is the metal inside the tailings. Market cap's $3 million. Very small. Well, Ross, it's always a pleasure to visit with you. Thanks so much for joining me today on the program. My pleasure. I've been chatting with Ross Orr, the president of Backtech Environmental Corporation, trading on the CSE as BAC and in the U.S. as BCCEF. Listen to the segment again on our website, ellismartinreport.com, or download the entire Ellis Martin Report on iTunes or your TuneIn radio app. Once again, here's Ellis Martin. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Peter Badusco, the president and CEO of Nexus Gold Corporation, 
trading as NXS on the TSX Venture Exchange and NXXGF in the U.S. The company is currently developing two projects in Burkina Faso, West Africa. The Nianguelo Gold Concession is located on the Boromo Greenstone Belt, the same as the company's Bubalu Gold Concession, and is proximal to the Kalsaka Deposit and the Sabse Shear. The company has delineated a one-kilometer quartz vein strike with samples as high as 2,950 grams per ton gold, and first drill results highlighted by 26.69 grams per ton over 4.85 meters. The Bubalu Gold Concession is a near-surface exploration project with numerous historical gold occurrences of both length and grade. Peter, welcome to the program. Great, thanks for having me, Alan. If you don't mind, give us an overview of the company. Nexus Gold is a junior exploration company. We're growth stage and development focused. We're currently uh, working two exploration projects in Burkina Faso, West Africa. We've been public for about two and a half, probably getting close to three years now. Did you know that the grades at the Nyanguela Gold Concession were going to show samples that high? Did you see it coming? We knew there was gold on the property. Uh, there was artisanal activity. The miners had created a, a number of shafts. We knew that there was uh, obviously gold of economic interest for them anyways on the property. And so we focused in on that area. We went actually down and, and took the samples off of the quartz vein. The mineralized zone is identified by the gold being contained in a quartz vein. We took some samples out of that. But you know what? The samples looked very ordinary, you know, just kind of dull-looking rock. There was no visible gold on it or anything, but we knew they were taken from the right area and had them sent in for assay. And you're right to a degree. We didn't expect, I suppose, the bonanza type of hits that we got on it. It certainly was exciting for us, and, and not only for us, but the market in general as well. Of course, you'd like to see consistent grades on the project, and you've proven that there are some with your news release on March 7th. Absolutely. You want to follow up good chip samples from the quartz vein. You want to be able to follow up sampling that you do with diamond drilling that can give merit and further validate the mineralization and the zone. Obviously, when you start to do that, you get a better understanding of what you're dealing with as well. We've done that. The property had never had any diamond drilling done on it. So these were first-time holes. We recently received our assays from the first nine holes and very, very pleased with the results on them. So we were successful in getting 26 grams over just under five meters, which included in that particular hole was 120 grams over one meter. So again, it further validated the chip sampling. It's just a great progression for us on the property, and we're looking forward to the commencement of a phase two shortly as well. What else can we look forward to over the next 12 months? Lots of work, lots of drilling on the properties. We're going to do initially here a second phase of 2,000 meters. The first phase we did was just over 1,000 to 1,500 meters. The second phase will just continue to delineate the mineralized zone and increase our strike length on it, get a better understanding for the overall structure. I can't stress enough how early stage this is for us on this property. Never had any diamond holes put down on it. Mineralization is bonanza or very, very extremely high grade. It's not typically what you find in Burkina Faso. Uh, in Burkina Faso, your average or typical grades are one, two, maybe three grams. The only other potential property we can point to that is similar to this would be Roxgold's Yerra Moco. This was a, a vein system as well. However, what we're finding on ours is that not only is the gold mineralization in the quartz vein, but it's also in, in the shear zone as well and the high grades in the shear zone. And so it, even though we can sort of point to Yerra Moco in terms of some similarity, it's quite different from from Yeramoko as well. So we have a lot of work to do. There's going to be a lot of drilling to further understand the structure and to build on the size of the mineralized zone, a long strike depth, and to get a better understanding of it. Yeah, basically, we're going to go from phase two to phase three to phase four and so on and so forth and start to build a really exciting story here. 
How are you capitalized going forward? We've actually just completed a $2 million financing, and this will carry us through our next couple of phases. Having said that, we'll definitely be looking to finance a further round later on in the year as well. I really believe the timing right for us to do this. The gold market is starting to get some legs after the challenging four or five years that we've gone through. And we have certain financing suitors that are definitely knocking on our door and recognizing what we have here that we potentially have the tiger by the tail. And, you know, they're definitely stepping up and saying, we'd like to finance you. We'd like to be involved or do a strategic investment. So financing will continue to do moving forward. And hopefully we're doing that in what will be a strengthening gold market. Let's talk about the share structure of the company. We have just over 120 million shares out after we closed this last financing. We're trading in around the 30 cent range. The market cap, therefore, is is in the $30 million range as well. We feel we're undervalued in terms of where we could go with this market. Again, if we're looking at some other examples, you have Rocks Gold, which is a three $400 million market cap. Our other peers in Burkina Faso as well have market caps in the hundreds of millions of dollars. We're definitely positioned well as, as a junior explorer. We want to be the premier junior explorer in the area. There's good growth potential for our market cap. And of course, when you're talking about Africa, jurisdiction can be a concern, but West Africa and Burkina Faso happen to be very mining friendly. Oh, absolutely. It's well established. There's a history of mining. It's a relatively new history over the last 10 or 15 years in Burkina Faso, but it's the fourth largest producer of gold on the continent. The reason for this is that the Greenstone Belt, which hosts major deposits out of Ghana and Ivory Coast, this Greenstone Belt extends into Burkina Faso as well. And that's giving us the opportunity here to create something really special and large in size as well. I would say that in terms of West Africa, Burkina Faso is, if not the top, it's getting close to the top in terms of attention for being prospective exploration type of properties. And that's where we want to be. One thing I should mention is that that exploration is where, as an investor, there's a potential for making the large returns on your investment. We're in the right area. It's the right space. And I timing's right for the gold market as well. Well, Peter, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Thanks so much for joining me today on the program. Uh, thank you very much. It's uh, been a real pleasure. I've been speaking with Peter Berdusco, the president and CEO of Nexus Gold Corporation, trading as NXS on the TSX Venture Exchange and NXXGF in the U.S. Listen to the segment again on our website, ellismartreport.com, or download the entire Ellis Martin Report on iTunes or your TuneIn radio app. Remember, if you do invest in any publicly traded concern, you do so at your own risk. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me for a conversation with Robert Boaz, the CEO and president of Aura Silver, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange as AUU and in the U.S. as AUSVF. I recently sat down with Mr. Boaz at the Prospector and Developers Association of Canada's conference in Toronto. Bob, welcome to the program. Thank you. If you wouldn't mind, give us an overview of Aura Silver. Aura Silver has two major properties, one in Nunavut, Canada, and one in Oaxaca State, Mexico. The positive thing with the Nunavut property is that Igniko Eagle Mines, who have a, their own mine just north of us, is earning into the Nunavut property, so they're providing all the capital for drilling and geochem and geophysics. In Mexico, we do have high-grade silver. We have a small resource and a small gold resource that we need a partner to come in and do some work for us. Well, let's talk about Nunavut, the Greyhound project where you have sample gradings from what I understand of over 300 grams per ton that is very significant sample gradings 
use over 300 grams per ton and surface rocks that have over an ounce gold in multiple occasions, which is unheard of for none of it. I haven't seen any samples that high, and that's why Nico Eagle is so interested in it. So you're talking about sampling of about 5,000 grams per ton silver with multiple one ounce per ton gold samples. That's correct, and they seem to be separate deposits. The gold is on one side of Ore Lake which is within Greyhound, and the silver seems to be concentrated just south of Ore Lake, also on Greyhound. So let's do a supposition at the moment, if you will. Let's speculate. What happens if Agnico Eagle finds what they're looking for, potentially? What they will do is they'll complete their earn-in, which should be this spring, and that's 51%. Then they will be committed to an additional $5 million further exploration, further drilling, with the objective of trying to uh, establish a mine. That sounds fantastic, but wait, there's more. There's Tabichi in Osaka, Mexico. Let's talk about that. Well, in Taviche, there's a couple of things. When people think about Mexico, they think that there's a criminal element there. There's disruptions, community disruptions. We're in uh, Oaxaca State, which is south end of Mexico. The bad guys aren't there. We have great community relations, and anytime we go back for drilling, we'll be accepted. It's very mining friendly. In Oaxaca, in Taviche, we had multiple silver samples. We had grades over wide intervals of over 300 grams silver. We have a gold vein that stretches for seven kilometers is low in grade in terms of, oh, 0.5 grams to two grams at depth, but it's something that can be mineable as well. So eventually it would count as silver gold equivalent, wouldn't it? Yes, basically yes. So what's the plan for the company, let's say 12 months out and even two years out? Well, 12 months out, if, if we are successful in none of it with Agnico's drilling and our share price is at a reasonable level, we'll likely be looking for other properties. We do have other properties that are under our radar, but we will need more capital at the end of the day to do that. How are you capitalized now? We have 143 million shares outstanding. We're currently trading at six cents, so it's reasonably cheap at this stage, especially if Agnico is successful. And cash on the bank? We just raised 500,000. We expect 110,000 as an option payment from Agnico at the end of May. But your exploration and development costs aren't really super significant right now based on the fact that Agnico Eagle has an earn-in plan with regard to Nanavut. That's correct. So any cash we have in the bank right now will be conserved as much as we can, and we won't explore anything, even Taviche, unless we have at least a million and a half to two million dollars in the bank. What other attributes are there for your Greyhound project in Nanavut? One thing is Agnico Eagle, which is one of the premier gold companies in the world, for that matter. The other is where their Metabank mine is, is a road that extends down to the community of Baker Lake, which is, during the spring and summer months, is an inland port. That road goes right through our property. So in terms of infrastructure, for Ignico to get to our property, they can just drive down the road and the drill targets are right there. Well, Bob, it's been a pleasure having you on the program today. Thanks so much for joining us today on the program. Thanks very much, Ellis. I've been speaking with Robert Boas, the CEO and president of Aura Silver, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange as AUU and in the U.S. as AUSVF. Listen to this segment again on our website, ellismartinreport.com or download the entire program on iTunes or on your TuneIn radio app. Who are the small companies with big opportunities? Find an assortment of potential investment opportunities. Start by visiting our website, ellismartinreport.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Desert Gold trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol DAU and in the U.S. as DAUGF. Join me now for a conversation with President Jared Scharf. Jared, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. 
If you don't mind, give us an overview of the company. Desert Gold is an African-focused gold exploration company. We have a portfolio of three exploration assets in Western Mali and Southwestern Mali, the Senegal Mali Shear Zone, and another property in the Yan Falila Gold Belt. As well, we have a mining license and a gold deposit in central northern Rwanda. Let's talk about Mali first, West Africa, a great jurisdiction. What have you got outlined over there? Well, we've got three exploration permits. I'll start with the northernmost permit, which is a permit named Farabanturu. It is located directly on the Senegal-Mali shear zone. This is a structural anomaly that essentially straddles the border of Senegal and western Mali. And some of the continent's largest gold deposits are hosted on this geological anomaly, such as Anglo-Ashanti's Diatella and Sadiola mine, Rand Gold's Lulugankatu mine complex, which hosts more than 10 million ounces of reserves. Gold revenue from this particular area is well over $500 million a year. So this is a very prolific area and our company holds some very, very interesting exploration assets directly on this shear zone. So there's an opportunity to expand our existing resource to delineate a larger ore body. That then opens up a lot of opportunity for us in terms of being a possible acquisition target for some of the larger producers, entering into some type of mining joint venture with some of the other producers or looking at raising capital to possibly go into mining on our own. We've had a lot of interest on this particular property from some of our neighbors and what I'm hopeful that we can do within the first two quarters of this year is find a strategic partner, be it a larger miner in the company or some type of goal-specific investment fund to help us conduct a drill program this year, a significant drill program somewhere in the vicinity of five to 10,000 meters. So that's the strategy at Farabanturu. It's a great property and a fantastic locale. We've already delineated a small indicated resource of 70,000 ounces. The grades are north of two grams. And if we can conduct a program of five to 10,000 meters this year, we can add to the ounces of that resource in a material fashion. And the size of the companies that are looking at this particular property is a pretty good indication of the upside potential here at at this property because the companies that we're dealing with, quite frankly, aren't interested in 70,000 ounces of gold. They're internal hurdles would be to only evaluate properties that have multi-million ounce potential. So the only way to prove that is to go ahead and drill these targets. On this particular property, we've got about six or seven very well-defined targets. That's what we're looking to do in the near term at Farabenturu. So is that the best course of action really is to define the resource, then continue conversations with the majors in the area with regard to a possible joint venture or even a takeout? It is because if we go to them now with a small resource, the terms of a transaction that we're going to get, and we have been proposed terms going back to 2015, they're not as attractive as if we were able to delineate a larger ore body. So we're looking at a variety of ways to do this, be it raising money through private placement at the corporate level or looking for more strategic equity to come in and participate at the project level. And we've seen some interest on both sides, and we're just trying to determine what the best way is forward to minimize dilution to our shareholders. Speaking of which, how are you capitalized right now to proceed with exploration? Well, the company just closed a first tranche of financing. On March 10th, we raised $300,000. We had about another $100,000 in the treasury 
but we're looking actually to raise significantly more money than that later this month. We just really wanted to close that tranche because we couldn't guarantee our investors price protection because our share price was trading at a premium to what the unit offering was at. So we went ahead and decided to close that tranche and in all likelihood we're probably trying to raise in and about another million dollars by the end of the second quarter of this year. Let's talk about that share structure. It looks pretty interesting. We went through some restructuring in 2015. There was a share consolidation on a 10 for one basis. We then did a couple of rounds of financing. And right now we've got 19 million shares out and about another 12 million warrants. And we just issued about 1.2 million shares in the most recent financing. So fully diluted, we're 19 plus another 12 and warrants and stock options issued to various directors. It's a fairly tight company. I think we're trading right around 30 cents. We're in a good position. There is not a huge amount of capital issued out there right now. And of course, management is key. Let's talk about the management team. Yeah, I think we've got a very, very well-balanced management team. If you look at our board of directors, on the technical side of things, Dr. Luke Antoine is a South African PhD in geophysicist and also geology. He's a very well-respected, very well-known geologist based in South Africa. He has been in charge of the strategy for our exploration since 2013, and we're very pleased to have him on board. On the mining and engineering side, we have Bruce Thorndycraft, who's also a director. He's Master of Science in Process Engineering and Chemical Engineering. He has participated in the construction of over 200 gold mines over the course of his 35-plus year career. So we have a nice balance of geology, but we also have views that come from the mining and engineering perspective as well. So that's a good balance. And then Sonny and myself, our background is more on the corporate finance side of things. I worked on Bay Street for nearly eight years before I got involved with Desert Gold directly. And Sonny's background is in mining, public companies, corporate finance, as well as commercial real estate. So there's a good complement of views, geologically speaking, mining, economics, engineering, as well as corporate finance and people who have a good understanding of capital markets. Well, this is very interesting because you mentioned Bruce Thorndycraft and you potentially have two different strategies and there are two different hats and two different structures basically if you were to do a JV or be a takeout candidate with a a major that's one set of rules that's an exploration company if you develop a mine that's a completely different skill set and the question is do you have the expertise do you have the personnel to get that done and I guess with Mr. Thorndycraft you more or less do we do and to expand on that we are developing a mine in Rwanda and his team as being the team that is we received our mining license our commercial mining license in December of 2016 we submitted a plan of operation to the Rwandan government in June of 2016 and we are busy creating what's called a supplemental plan of operation to the government and to a handful of investors who are looking at partially or entirely financing the construction of what will initially be a small-scale mine at our existing deposit in Rwanda. So in Mali, the the dynamic is we're sort of a, a small fish in a big pond, where in Rwanda, we're kind of the fish in the pond. We were the first company ever to declare a 43101 compliant resource in the country. We were the first company to really go in and do commercial exploration Yet this country is situated directly along the Twangis and the Moya gold belt and where Banro's major deposit exists and they're producing mines are right 
on the other side of the border of Rwanda in the Democratic Republic of Congo. So Rwanda, although it's a lesser known jurisdiction, we're very happy to be there. It's a very efficiently run government. It has excellent infrastructure. And we're hopeful to get the construction financed for the mine in the next couple of quarters and begins construction at some point this year. In the case of Mali, a mine is more than likely, if we do in fact delineate an economic ore body in Mali, the mine will in all likelihood have a much larger capital cost and it'll be a much bigger situation. Hence, why we're looking for a partner in Mali. This is interesting. Two completely different parts of Africa and mm-hmm. two completely different strategies. It looks like you've got the team to have success with both potentially. We do. We do. And we have very good people at the country level. They don't get the notoriety of being put on the board of directors, but we have excellent country managers and we have excellent technical people at the country level as well. And they're extremely important as we go from sort of the theoretical modeling and engineering stage to the execution stage. And we'll continue to build and expand upon those teams teams as well as we'll obviously have to. In the case of Rwanda, we'll be employing over uh, 165 people once the mine is fully constructed and producing. So it's not a small project. So Jared, what would you say to a potential investor who's considering desert gold as an addition to their portfolio? I would look at the exploration potential of our properties in Mali. I would look at the market capitalization of our company and really what is the downside here? And I would say at this point, it's relatively small. And if our company is successful in gaining a partner, be it a larger miner or a strategic partner in Mali with a material work program like the one we're looking to do this year, I think the valuation of these assets and thus uh, the public company could be changed quite materially. I'll give you a perfect example. At Sagala West, which is our second property that you'll encounter along the Senegal-Mali shear zone as you go southward, is situated in between Rand Gold's Lulugunkatu Mine Complex and Endeavor's Tabakoto and Sagala Mine. In 2013, we allowed Endeavor to build a road directly through our property so they could access their other prospect bordering the north of our property called Kofi, K-O-F-I. They're now starting to mine from two zones there and they're trucking their ore 35 kilometers through our property to their mill at Tabakoto. We have three very large artisanal open pits currently on our property that are mining what appear to be an extension of this mineralized system on Endeavor's property. And in the case of their Sagala mine, the Sagala mine encroaches right up into the border of our property where they obviously have to stop mining or they'd be mining on our property. The artisanal miners who can mine, they're tolerated, the locals who mine the surface minerals are going down to about 30, 40 meters and mining in the bedrock and mining vein systems, which appear to be, like I said, the continuity or the extension of that mineralized system. This is going on all over the southern part of our property. The only way we can prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that that mineralization of those two very large mines that incidentally were taken over by Endeavor Mining from Avian Gold in 2012 for $365 million in a public deal. If we can prove that that continuity is there by a drill program and delineate an economic ore body there, it opens up all kinds of possibilities with Endeavor Mining. We could look at doing some type of toll treatment arrangement where we would enter into a transaction with Endeavor where they could help us mine and mill our ore for some type of economic agreement. 
or if we delineate any kind of large economic body there, the likelihood of some type of arrangement with them, I would speculate, is high. Our prospect is five kilometers away from their mill. They're currently trucking or 35 kilometers away to the north, and we're in their way. One can connect the docks quite easily. That's the second prospect we have on the Senegal Mali Shear Zone, which is our other property called Sagala West. So that's an example of potential upside. And we're not talking about a huge amount of work. We're talking about a program that might take four to six months that requires 5,000 meters of drilling, maybe 3,000 meters of diamond drilling and 2,000 meters of reverse circulation drilling. We're very optimistic and we're a relatively unknown story, somewhat new to the market. Now might be a good time for people to familiarize themselves with us. Well, Jared, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for joining me today on the program. Thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. I've been speaking with Jared Scharf the president of Desert Gold, trading as DAU on the TSX Venture Exchange and as DAUGF in the U.S. Listen to the segment again on our website, ellismartinreport.com, or download the entire Ellis Martin Report on iTunes or on your TuneIn radio app. Did you hear something worth repeating? Find all segments of this program on our website, ellismartinreport.com. Once again, here's Ellis Martin. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me for a conversation with John McConnell, president and CEO of Victoria Gold, trading as VIT on the TSX Venture Exchange and VITFF in the U.S. Victoria Gold Corp. is a leading gold exploration and development company. The company's Eagle Gold Project in Yukon, Canada, hosts a 43-101 compliant reserve of 2.7 million ounces of gold. The Eagle Gold Project is shovel-ready and when in production will produce 200,000 ounces of gold annually at an operational cost of approximately $550 per ounce. The project is permitted for construction and operations. Victoria shareholders are well positioned to participate in a highly leveraged gold play and construction of the largest gold mine in Yukon history. Today I'm visiting with John at the Prospector and Developers Association of Canada's conference in Toronto. John, welcome back to the program. Great to be here, Ellis. Now, if you wouldn't mind, we always have new listeners listening to the program. Give us a brief overview of the company. Sure. Victoria Gold, developing the Eagle Gold Project in Canada's Yukon Territory. In production, we'll produce over 200,000 ounces of gold per year, and we're fully permitted. I challenge your listeners to come up with another asset company that fits that description. Fully permitted, in a safe jurisdiction, producing over 200,000 ounces of gold per year. I don't think there's very many of them out there. It's quite a rare asset. It is extremely rare. As a matter of fact, you're going to be the next big producer in the Yukon, if not the first. That's correct. This will be the first hard rock gold mine in the Yukon in a long time, and it'll be a very large operation. Let's talk about the size of that operation. I've seen photographs, but I, I can't really describe it, but I'm sure you can. Yeah, you know, it's very simple, though. It's an open pit, Valley Leach. We'll be mining at a rate of over 30,000 tons of ore per day, and the same in waste. So 60,000 tons per day is a very large mining operation. You know, we'll use uh, 220 ton trucks loaded by a big shovel. Material will be crushed and then stacked on a leech pad. Now, to make sure this build goes off as you envision it, you've just added somebody to your production team, and his name is Tony George. Let's talk about Tony. Yeah, Tony's a guy I've worked with in the past at De Beers, so he built 
the Victor Mine in northern Ontario for us, a diamond mine. He went from there to Lucera Diamonds and was uh, built a mine in uh, Botswana for Lucera. And we poached him from Lundin Gold. He was down in Ecuador doing the feasibility study and the start of construction on Lundin Gold, underground gold mine in Ecuador. So we're very happy to have somebody of Tony's experience and caliber join our team. How much more growth in this team can we see over the course of the next year or so? We've identified probably six or seven key positions that we'll be filling over the next two to three months as we move towards the start of construction. And what sort of news flow can we see during the next six months approximately? There's a couple big things. One is the project financing, so finalizing that. We currently have 40 million U.S. in our treasury. We recently signed an engagement letter with BNP, a large European bank, for a debt facility of 220 million. So that leaves mathematically a gap of 40 million to be uh, raised, and we're looking at various alternatives for that. Equity markets could sell a gold stream or royalty, could bring in a joint venture partner, could bring in another strategic investor, or it could be a combination of all of those things. But you're well underway. Yeah, no, we're, I uh, can finally say after, you know, we acquired this property in 2009 and can finally say it looks like we're going to be building it here shortly. Now, I know you're a humble guy, John, but let's talk about the fact that the TSX for 2017 is recognized Victoria Gold in a ranking of the top 50 TSX venture companies. It just shows our achievement over the past year. I think they measure the top 50 based on price move, volume, market cap. And certainly we've gone from, I think, somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 cents to 65 cents over the course of the past year. More importantly, our market cap has gone from 40 million to over 300 million today. That's very exciting news. John, once again, it's always a pleasure to speak with you and to see you here at PDAC in Toronto. Thanks so much for joining us today in the program. Thanks, Alice. I've been speaking with John McConnell, President and CEO of Victoria Gold, trading as VIT on the TSX Venture Exchange and VITFF in the U.S. Listen to this segment again on our website, ellismartinreport.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Eric Fear, the president of Silvercrest Metals, trading in the U.S. as SVCMF and on the TSX Venture Exchange's SIL.B. Silvercrest Metals is a Vancouver-based precious metals exploration company that is focused on new discoveries, value-added acquisitions, and targeting production in Mexico's historic precious metals districts. Their Las Chispas mine in Sonora State, Mexico, promises to be a potentially highly prolific play. Eric, welcome back to the program. Ellis, thanks for having me on again. Always a pleasure. Last week, you telegraphed that you expected news out this week, and here it is. Silvercrest Metals is reporting your first drill results from the Bobbycan ore vein. Multiple intercepts greater than 1,000 grams per ton silver gold equivalent, correct? That's correct. Did you know this was coming? Of course, you get these assays as they filter in. The last assays we actually got for whole four and five a couple of days ago. So we've been spending the last few days compiling information and putting together our figures to do the news release. I'm looking at this release and I see 0.6 meter grades of 2,907 grams per ton. Now, you hit that, but you just can't say it's consistent right now. 
You know, the important part of this news release is really to establish the foundation of the work to move forward on the Bobby Canora vein and Las Chispas as a property itself. So I avoided putting in discovery. You know, this is a new discovery for us on the Las Chispas property. But you're stretching it if you say discovery because it is an old mine. What was the biggest discovery is we were all pretty convinced that there wasn't going to be much left over. So we were actually drilling to look for splays and parallel veins. And we actually hit the main vein and found that most of it's intact. We think much like the Las Chispas vein and the William Tell vein, that previous Spaniards and the French company was in there in the 1800s, really chased the multi-kilo stuff. And some of it they left behind, obviously, because we're hitting it. But you got five holes out of six. And one of the holes, actually didn't get to the vein because we really didn't quite understand the geometry of the vein and we drilled it in the foot wall of it. You can say five out of six hits, those are pretty good odds for something that you thought was already pretty much mined out. You got to understand too that the adit that goes in is a four by four meter adit. So it's not something small. It's a haulage adit that goes right to the face. And some of those holes, you're eight to 10 meters away from that face and you're into high grade. So from a potential mineability in the future, I mean, this is low-hanging fruit. If it's low-hanging fruit, then why was it left alone in the past? Again, we feel that their cutoff grades were consistent multi-kilo. You're going to get variability in all deposits worldwide, Ellis. But if you look at our average grade, if you take all those numbers, it's four meters wide. That's probably running about 600 to 700 grams per ton silver equivalent. So that's something they probably would not have been interested in back in the 1800s. They were going for the consistent one, two, three kilos per silver equivalent. So what does this mean overall for the valuation of the company? Well, if we continue to hit like this, this could be a game changer for the company in the future. No promises there. We have to diligently do our work. There is still proposed holes in the phase two program that's ongoing. We'll be doing more underground drilling at the face at the Bobby Canora Adit, and we're building roads to do surface drilling to really test. You can walk on the surface and see the vein for over a kilometer long. We know it's there. When you're chasing in these systems, you're looking for the higher grade components. And another surprise that we had that should be appreciated in this news release is there's quite a bit of low grade that's in the hanging wall of the vein. Now, it's not economic where it stands this deep underground, but you move closer to the surface, you get a bump up in some of those grades. Then we're talking a whole different ball game of a potential open pit that's near the surface. Again, don't know, no drilling to date on such a target, but we do have plans to target that. Do you suspect that we'll continue to see high-grade results like this in the future? You know, it's, again, a geologic strategy and a geologic, from a technical standpoint, challenge. Typically, these epithermal systems have high-grade ore shoots. So from our experience at Santa Elena, which is just 25 kilometers south of this new district that we've come up with, once you're onto one of these, you have to find the trend of these high-grade ore shoots. And that's what we did at Santa Elena, and that's where we've started to do 
you know, this is like drilling the first six holes into the Santa Elena discovery back in 2006. You got to chase these things. I think we're going to have some success. We're going to have some hits and misses, and then you're going to pull it together, and you'll really show the value once you start stepping out uh, 100, 200, 300 meters from these initial six holes that you've hit. And we're pretty tightly constrained underground at the face. You can only turn in so many directions to get information. Eventually, you get a backup off the face, go deeper, go higher, go lower, and get some surface drilling done and really chase these high-grade ore shoots and where they're going. But I think there's quite a bit of, of opportunity if we're, I don't like the word lucky. Luck to me is, is just coming up with a great strategy geologically to find these things. So you do your homework and do the best bang for the buck and start developing really some critical mass around this. And again, to remind your audience, this is one vein out of 19 that we've defined on the property, and this is really only the third vein that we've been working on. Could this dwarf, or does it already dwarf Santa Elena, which now belongs to First Majestic Silver? I think if we do the step-out drilling, we continue to hit high grades, the three to four meter of half a kilo to a kilo. I'm pretty sure we could rapidly build up a critical mass to be as good or better than Santa Elena. Eric, thanks so much for the update. I look forward to visiting with you again at PDAC. Great, Ellis, and we are going to be at PDAC coming up starting this weekend, and we'll have a booth there, and we'll be out on the market also. I've been speaking with Eric Fear, the president of Silvercrest Metals, trading in the U.S. as SVCMF and on the TSX Venture Exchange as SIL.B. Listen to the segment again on our website, ellismartreport.com, or listen to the entire Ellis Martin Report on iTunes and TuneIn Radio. Invest wisely. I'm Ellis Martin. You've just heard opinion, commentary, and dissertation involving publicly traded companies seeking your potential investment. They paid us for the privilege. Invest at your own risk and only after doing extensive research. Find our sponsors and listen to segments of this program again on our website, ellismartinreport.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.